The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to the business of the business episode number two i am your co-host jp john pause from the two-man power trip of wrestling and of course the other co-host the man of the hour he is from the trump mania podcast and of course the famous trump mania books he is mr lavi margan lavi welcome in sir how you doing today it's good to be here. Such a pleasure. And I love to hear the number two because that reminds me, Stephanie McMahon was recently named the number two most influential chief marketing officer, CMO. Who is number one? That's a good question. I should be more prepared to know. I'm going <laughs> to click I'm going to click on that link and, and sound like if unless there's like a lot of like ads on the Forbes uh, website. <laughs> Uh, who is number one buying some time? Do you think that means anything, though? You know, as far as like uh, the actual business side of things, do you think that actually means anything to be ranked number two by Forbes? Mm, I think, I mean, I would love it, you know, like, hey, why not? But um, probably not. You know, these lists are so suspect. Like, and and how could she be like the number two? Like when you consider like all the big brands and, and how well that they market and like how WWE comes across in the marketplace. But hey, you know, good for her. So number one is Phil Schiller of Apple. So like, you know, like Apple, WWE. And then when you go down the list, restaurant brands, um, BMW and uh chrysler so sure um you know so um you never know how these things work out but i think that's it's always nice for her it's always curious when wwe wins these awards because sometimes they are very deserving they're a very well-run company but other times they're like for bringing awareness to COVID 19 and you're like wait a second <laughs> so you know it's kind of up in the air a little bit yeah, you figure like Disney or something would be number two. I don't know. Somebody, you know, somebody from that realm. Interesting. Stephanie at WB. I wonder if they're maybe paying for that award or, or something like that. Because that's a, yeah. doesn't kind of seem maybe a little wonky being that high up on that list. You know, I always wanted to be on like a 40 under 40 list, but I never made it. And now I'm 40. So I need like a 50 under 50 list. <laughs> so uh, today on today's episode, Last week we kind of teased it, and and it was so interesting because when you said it, I was like, yeah, I got now I got to find out like what is the number one YouTube video out there, and obviously today we're going to focus on the YouTube wrestling community, and then of course the most watched match ever. But I want to kind of start with that because it's potentially the most watched match because maybe there's more research to be done. Maybe we have to really divulge and check it. But as far as you know, and as far as I know, what is the number one most watched match ever on YouTube wrestling wise? Exactly. I feel like as soon as we announce it, someone will be like, no, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yep. actually this one. Um, I remember um, there was that, um, they looked like like Egyptian pharaohs and they would put like other wrestlers in a trance. I remember that was going viral, but I feel like it was, it wasn't a full match and it was split up over a number of videos. So maybe if you aggregate that, but as far as I know, the number one match on YouTube is from the beyond wrestling company. And it is Phil Dickinson versus Addy star 229 million views. And it was uploaded seven years ago. And curiously, um, I haven't watched the match, actually, but curiously, when you look at the little clip of the video, it almost looks like Chris is taking off his clothes or pulling his clothes back on. I hope neither occurred in the match, but something uh, of that, 
you know, a little clip, either it appealed to over 200 million people or it was on a great roll and, um, and uh, you know, people stayed for a second at least to watch it. But intergender wrestling really seems to be one of those things that drives views on YouTube. That kind of surprises me because it's not like a very popular thing as far as really intergender wrestling kind of has its detractors. And it seems like those are more than people actually like it. So it's almost one of those things where it's like, well, I guess YouTube and these other things are almost like a subculture of wrestling fans that do enjoy intergender wrestling. Have you gotten that a lot where maybe people you hear negative more so than positive about intergender wrestling? Yeah, like that's what I feel like YouTube. It's sort of like it's its own ecosystem and it might not even be wrestling fans. Um, something like intergender, you know, like um, I've heard speculation that in certain countries, what you can watch, um, you know, even on the Internet may be more restricted. So uh, watching uh, men and women fighting might be appealing uh, to some, you know, in, in other ways. But, you know, for wrestling, uh, like the wrestling community, quote unquote, I feel like it's more controversial, like um, Lucha Underground is probably a company that mainstreamed it if you're not counting that awesome match from wrestlemania dusty and sapphire against uh macho and elizabeth although they had to i think you had to actually go out of the ring right like macho couldn't wrestle sapphire but you know there had been some wcw matches that were pretty well done but like sort of like as a genre um you know it's it's really popular on YouTube and um, it really goes sort of like it's not really discussed much because Beyond has a lot of um, matches that appeal to hardcore, like you know, people are really serious wrestling fans. But when you look at their most popular videos, those that reach far over 10 million views and into the hundred, uh, hundreds of millions of views beyond, beyond that match. Some of it's like, it makes you like question sort of like who's looking for what and, and what's going on here. Like, the next most popular mat, uh, clip, which isn't a match, is John Silver takes out his frustrations on Jordan Grace. So, like, why are 100 million people watching that? And then you see Timothy, Timothy Thatcher against Tony Storm and so on. Um, and which is interesting when it compares to WWE, their most popular videos aren't matches, actually, for the most part. So... They have a video that's been watched more, but it's it's not a match. 249 million views. Randy Orton makes it personal with Triple H from seven years ago. John Cena and Brock Lesnar get into a brawl, 179 million. Stunning in really in-ring proposals, top 10, right? Like for people that watch wrestling uh, every week and are insiders and love to follow it, they're like, ah, who cares? But 173 million. Uh, John Cena and AJ Lee kiss 145 million uh, and so on. And um, uh, matches like featuring the great Kali are always super popular just because um, the Indian market is really big and they like to see a star that they can relate to. I feel like a lot of those times, like even if you remember a couple of years ago when Alexa Bliss, like her top fell off or she opened the door, she wasn't wearing her top and she was all covered up. I remember immediately it did like 10 million views like overnight. Um, Mandy Rose in the hotel room, I remember, did like all these crazy views. But sometimes those little maybe even sexual innuendos or those kind of you know women uh, that are attractive are getting undressed. They always seem to be popular. But it's like you're right. It doesn't necessarily have to be matches. Orton and Triple H, um, uh, Cena and AJ Lee, and he doesn't necessarily have to be matches, but people are interested. So sometimes those things on TV, you're like, oh, this is stupid. Why are they doing this? Well, maybe for another audience. Yeah, and a little bit further down, this kid thinks he can counter Orton's RKO. 58 million views. Brock Lesnar, F5's a shark, 57 million views. So, you know, there's just something like you see it for a second, you're like, I want to see if he can F5 that shark. Let me, you know, I don't have to pay any money to see it. Let me click and see this 36 second clip. So you were mentioning before Dusty and Sapphire versus Macho Man and, and Sensational Sherry WrestleMania 6, like intergender. Right. Obviously, they're not going to be in the ring at the same time. It's kind of much more of a, of a gimmicky thing. But these other matches that you mentioned, like John Silver, Jordan Grace, Thatcher, Storm, and obviously the most popular one, Chris Dickinson and Addie Starr, they're obviously going to be like violent men and women matches and kind of, you know, maybe, maybe taking it to a whole nother level. And obviously some fans like it, some fans don't, but what do you kind of attribute that to like those guys necessarily aren't that popular 
on TV? I mean, we're obviously, I mean, you said it's own ecosystem, but how come they could be so popular on YouTube and stuff, but maybe not so much doesn't translate to TV or doesn't translate to some of those guys really, you know, becoming huge stars? Sure. I think it goes beyond professional wrestling. Um, you know, people have a lot of interests, which we could imagine that go far beyond what they would like to discuss, you know, in uh, in decent company or even, you know, among their buddies. So like, you know, some people unfortunately like to see one gender beat up on another or, you know, people sort of doing things that look odd, even though it's in the context of a wrestling match. And I'm not meaning to paint any of the performers with this brush. I think they went out there to have their matches and um, there's just a way that it's being marketed, whether on purpose or not. And I'm not saying beyond is marketing like this, but something about it appeals to audiences that obviously it's not extremely niche, right? Cause you have 250 million people watching some of these videos, but it appeals in a way that you don't have to follow wrestling to want to appeal. And it appeals in a way that you can sort of, do it from your own home and uh, and not always have to discuss it with other people. It's interesting. Some of these guys obviously will get signed, but I wonder, and I don't know if you would know this or not, but are some of these guys getting signed? Like, oh, wow, they they're big on YouTube. We're going to sign this guy. Like, wow, John Silver, he's got a you know million downloads from a match. Maybe we need to sign him. You think that plays a part into maybe any of these guys getting signed? I think... Um... Like if you could see that it's sort of like a one-off gimmick, probably not. But if it's something where it's like consistently you start seeing that they're really building a buzz, I think that really helps, um, you know, to put it on the radar of, of some of the bigger companies like like we've been talking about um, with Orange Cassidy. Uh, before he was really featured on AEW, his videos were doing multiple millions views that were um far ahead of anyone else and um you know once you see something like that that um you know makes a promotion who's paying attention really look at it and say hmm you know maybe we should be doing more with this person or sort of building up your own brand something like the young bucks did you know for years um interestingly like when you sort of scroll around to some of the different companies that have featured either intergender wrestling or women's wrestling um even with performers that weren't featured it's some of their most popular videos so if you were to look at um ring of honor um far and away their most popular videos have uh featured uh women's wrestling a lot of times with some of their some of the women that um haven't been featured so um just looking at that right now so um for example there was a uh women of honor the most popular video that they've ever done is a women of honor four corner survival with um taylor Hendricks, 24 million views um that's far and away their next is um mandy leone and sumi sakai 11 million and so on um so you know that's that's going to help you know their visibility of of subscribers and and making money and you have to basically go through several videos um to to see um something that features the men the first were leo rush shocks punishment martinez um 4.4 million views and then uh kevin steen in a couple of videos uh el generico fight without honor um 2.4 million and versus tyler black bloody war and you see like um kevin steen with the crimson mask 1.9 million views it is interesting. Like when you go through, it's like, wow, what is popular? What is driving this? What is, you know, why are people watching certain things? But it's kind of all over the place. Like we're talking about intergender wrestling, then it could be women's matches, then it could be blood. I mean, really, it's just kind of all over the place. I feel like it's like the niche of the niche, right? Yeah. And it's something that like, you know, when you think about, um, you know, clicks and sort of like, you know, the bottom of articles, like you won't believe what happens next. It's sort of like, is there something sort of viscerally, viscerally appealing where you see it and you're like, I want to see that. So you don't need to like see the performer's names or anything like that. And I have a number of friends. I don't think they watch the first type of videos that I know of, um, but I'm not going to ask them. But but I know that they're the type that if they're scrolling through, they'll mention to me like, hey, you know, um, uh, I came across this match. It was crazy. They jumped off a ladder and whatever. So there's something about that. And you even see that 
with with a company like CZW, their um, you know what they would draw to a show is pretty low, and they're kind of off the radar, especially since GCW sort of took their place in the ecosystem. I feel, but like the amount of views that they have on YouTube is is really uh, amazing, and subscribers, which we can get into soon. Yeah, that is uh, to me. It's just like wow, like. They're, I thought this company's dead and buried, but no, on YouTube, they've somehow maintained a popularity that doesn't really match up to how many people are going to the shows or the talk on whether it be wrestling websites or whatever has been significantly lowered. But yet on YouTube, they can still maintain a presence. It's just that kind of stuff just fascinates me because it's really necessarily doesn't mean that they have wrestling fans, but they have some sort of fans that keep up with them and that are loyal to that company it's kind of a bizarre in, in a certain way and um in a, in a different way of of sort of monetizing the content they were under sort of controversy several months ago because they took uh, matches with, with serious women's wrestlers and they started promoting it as like whatever they called it like sexiest women uh hardcore whatever they called it and they were promoting that for their you know cheap cheap pay-per-views uh just to like to squeeze some more money out of it or you know promoting you know their most violent matches which i guess is is on brand for them but um kind of getting some money out of the pay-per-view market by taking performers that you know they do have the right to do it um but like kind of squeezing out of a few more pennies from things what about your good old favorite company mlw what is going on the latest as far as their youtube numbers so um like we talked about it was very interesting that um they had decided or court um was, was talking about this on twitter that he had decided to sort of move away from youtube for some other um engagement strategies but then realized that fans were reaching out and saying that they um they really wanted um to watch matches on youtube so then when he brought it back um the numbers started going up month to month tremendously right if you're to remove 100 shows of course <laughs> when you put them back your your numbers will be up so over the last month um or last 30 days um the subscribers are up 455 percent and the views are up 722 percent so that's um you know it was a couple months ago when I started watching, it was by far sort of like the most loss in terms of um, views. Um, you don't really lose subscribers at, at that rate. Um, but now it's up the most, so it's kind of swinging back and forth. So it'll probably take a few months to to normalize. And um, if you'd like, we can take a look and go through a number of companies and, and see how they're doing over the last 30 days. Yeah, definitely. Great. So let's start with uh, AEW. So their subscriptions are up 75% uh, month over month uh, subscribers, but their views are up only 8.5%. Um, 25 million views over the last 30 days, but that's something to look at because they've been um, putting a lot of content up, especially um, I almost said MLW after dark, AEW after dark. It's almost three hours now, which is, um, I know Tony Khan has been thinking about sort of splitting it up. Um, so I don't know, like, let's say if you were to have that many subscribers, but you keep putting things that aren't especially appealing to the feed, will they remain? Will people click? So I'm curious to see how this strategy um, works out. Uh, next, Impact. Impact is has a really high profile on YouTube. I think what was really helpful for them was that although they got wrestling names, um, they got them at the latter part of their career, so it's hard to monetize on television. But now that sort of they're they're out there, and if you were to search, you know, Dusty Rhodes or Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair or Sting, a lot of um, Impact or TNA content would come up, but they're down actually, uh, they've lost a third of their subscribers uh, month to month. They're down, sorry, they're down in subscriber growth by a third. So they haven't lost a third of their subscribers, but they're down uh, a third month to month. And they're also down in views by a quarter um, month to month. Um, they have about the equivalent amount of views with many more subscribers. They had 23, 9 million views. Um, 
So the WWE, the leader of the industry, of course, they are up 250% in subscribers month to month and up 137% in views. For ROH, they are up 22% in subscribers and 9.9% in views, 3.3 million. So, you know, when comparing sort of like um, secondary brands, think about it like this. Impact had 25 million views last month and Ring of Honor had 3 million, which is amazing because Ring of Honor, although they never had that national outlet, they do have a wide television reach and they have a lot of stuff that should be driving sort of views and they're um, fully monetizing that. I'm always just curious if like, if that means anything to like them corporately, you know, like, okay, we're doing okay on YouTube, but does that matter for the TV show? Do they care? Like how much focus is ring of honor putting on YouTube compared to ROH world? Um, you know, they're, they're a streaming service, their online stuff. Like how much of the TV focus is there and how much YouTube focus and is there is such a thing? No, that's a great question. Um, and that really does, does bring good perspective because they are a television first company in their programming for the uh, Sinclair affiliates um, and also for their, you know, bottom line. Um, so YouTube brings in some revenue, but it's not so large that it's a, a significant amount of revenue for them. But if they were to spend more time building that up and sort of driving to other platforms, like YouTube could be a discovery portal and then say, Oh, you like this uh, match by, um, They'd have to call him Kevin Steen. Why don't you check out all of his matches on ROH World or, you know, th that sort of thing. So for W for the NWA, excuse me. So they're, they're up 121% month over month, but it's of a low number, 236,000 views. I mean, for a smaller company. Um, and they have 2,000. Um, subscriber growth over the last 30 days, which is even. I've been watching, I, I haven't been watching it, but I've been sort of like observing what's going on with Shockwave. And I think it was a mistake to to come out with this program. The, the first show that they did had a lot of buzz. It sort of had an old school feel. And this program, like when they said it was coming, they didn't mention that it was going to be mostly UWN programming so that was already shown on on pay-per-view although i know that they've been having some matches that have been unseen but sort of like if you're appealing to a hardcore hardcore audience there's a crossover where you ask some of them to subscribe to the pay-per-view and now you're giving it away and for people that paid for it now they want to watch something different it's the same thing it's sort of i i would have waited to come out with, with something fresh or different i think the nwa you know, for however much they've grown it besides controversy in terms of David Lagana having to leave. And I think somebody else that had pretty much been concentrating on NWA full time um, was let go or, or left recently. I don't know that story. So I don't know who's really driving the ship. I I think Billy Corkin is. Yeah, Maureen Tracy uh, just left. Yeah. So I don't know. Like those were the only two people that I knew of that were sort of running the nwa side um, i'm sure somebody's there but um i think they have to figure out what what they want to do next that's one of those things too where it's like you can't just kind of regurgitate some stuff that's already been seen too because that'll even if people haven't seen it that'll give a negative connotation to it because they'll think like all right they're just showing us stuff that we've already seen they're just putting out content for the hell of putting out content they're not really giving us anything new and anything that we you know necessarily want to see we want to see some new fresh stuff out here or some stuff that's never been seen before um i know they do a tiny bit of that but i mean i think that's what people are looking for so if they're not going to put out new content you're right i think they should have waited until they at least got something else put together yeah they had some really good buzz with the um the original um program that, that they did and like this is sort of like you know what what to make out of it so with um beyond wrestling uh whom we are talking about really like a leader on on youtube they're down so month to month their subscribers are down 45 percent, and their views 
are down 58%. So they're actually kind of running with AEW and Impact around the same number, 23 million, which is generally impressive, but sort of for what they can normally do, um, you know, that that's down and, and that's a really important revenue source for them. So with AAA, I'm not sure, you know, how much new content um, they've been producing, um, but they're down 15% in views. So they're at just under 8 million and they're even in terms of subscriber growth, which is uh, 20,000. Um, then there's there's a few like brands that are kind of like, I don't think they're active anymore, but they're sort of like build kind of like keep the momentum going something like limitless wrestling but with new japan of course they have their english and japanese sort of outlets but in, in looking at the english one um they're down they don't have very many views generally for for a big company on the english version 2.3 million views which is 35 percent down and again 2k subscribers um which i think was the equivalent to MLW, so they're down um, 33%. Um, and then uh, so a quiet story was Booker T's Reality of Wrestling. I wish I could say it's up five times, five times. <laughs> <laughs> but they did do 5.169 million viewers. So 5 million, 5 million. <laughs> um, so that's up 28% and 17,000 subscribers. So they used to be, I don't think they're on domestic television anymore, but they've done a really good job in terms of that. So those are the most um, significant brands to talk about on YouTube. Now, how do you kind of equate subscribers to the actual people watching the videos daily? You know what I mean? Like, let's say WB has, you know, I forget the number that you, you might have mentioned it, thousands upon thousands. You, do you have that number offhand of how many subscribers they have? Um, let me go. I was going to say to the videotape, but <laughs> that wouldn't be helpful at all. Um, let's see. Kind of doesn't matter, it, but um, but if you could find it, I guess that would, that would be sure. good. But it's one of those things. It's okay. Okay, they have an astronomical amount of subscribers. No, but and you're many? right. Sorry, you're right to ask because they actually recently announced it, which I forgot about. Seventy million. So they broke the seventy million threshold. So once you have that momentum, it keeps going. So they're at seventy point two million subscribers. Okay, so that's insane, and that's great, and that's just you know an awesome number. It's like wow, I wonder how you know how much they're doing. So how does that kind of equate to like the actual number that's actually watching the videos? Because it would seem like okay, let's just say you know everyone on there watched one video. Well, that's probably not going to happen. So how do you kind of equate the subscribers to the actual people that are? going to be actually watching the videos because it's funny you know some people on youtube they'll like subscribe to a channel and it'll just be on their main page and they'll never really click on one of the videos they're like eh, i'm not interested but they'll be a subscriber so how do you kind of equate that to actual watchers right that's a great question i feel like somebody would have done like a study or analysis like in terms of a sophisticated way like what are your chances of like once somebody subscribes that they'll see the video again i mean like organically i feel like something like YouTube gives you a chip, like sort of like once you subscribe, they probably put it on your main page or in your feed, like for a while. And if they see you're not clicking on it, then it just goes away. So it has to be, um, you know, active engagement. I don't think they look for like, to be fair that everything gets seen. They sort of look on like, what are you clicking on? And then feed you more. I'm not sure if you get this, but like, you know, sometimes I don't even remember I'm subscribed to things. And sometimes actually it, it might be my daughter that subscribes me because I'm yeah. I'm looking now, what am I subscribed to? And I'm actually subscribed to 80 things, which I had no idea. And the first things that came up, American Girl, Doll Store, <laughs> uh, NBC News. I remember doing that one. Disney Channel. I can imagine how that happened. There's like actually mm -hmm. 10 Disney channels. Yep. Um, I am subscribed to WWE, which surprises me, but there's, there's like so much stuff that you often, uh, Rosenberg radio shout out. Um, but, um, like you often forget about it. And like, let's just say like my son is on Minecraft. So now, um, um, <laughs> you know, I'm on like Minecraft YouTube and I know he goes through it and he, like, as soon as he sees the new video pop up, I mean, he's going through and watching it. But like you said, you didn't even realize you're subscribed to WB. So I wonder how you can equate that 70 million to actual WB fans and watchers and 
current viewers, you know, people that really kind of stay in with the product. It's like, you know, they average 2 million viewers if they're lucky, a show on TV. SmackDown probably around 2 million, Raw probably around 1.7. So it's funny. It's like, okay, you have all these quote-unquote fans, and you think that's what you would be if you subscribe to something, but it's not necessarily true because, like you said, sometimes you don't even realize you're subscribed to, you forgot, or or you really don't care about the content and you just don't unsubscribe, you know? So it's one of those things that say, I don't really know how popular 70 million equates to being. Right. I think it's sort of like a nice corporate number, but you're right. It's the most important thing is like active engagement. How many people, once they've subscribed, do they continue engaged with it? And how much are you sort of like being fed it? So they really have to look at numbers like month to month to see how they're, um, how they're doing. And my son actually became super into Minecraft as well. We've been getting some of the, um, the guidebooks and he watches the videos, but we try and restrict him like to mm-hmm. it just like once yep. in the morning. Cause we're like, well, we don't know who's making these and we don't know how healthy it is for you. So you watch this in the morning and then in the afternoon, try and watch a normal show i'm always curious like okay you have 70 million subscribers how does that turn into the monetization part is that like and and what is the monetization do they ever break it down on youtube and tell you like what you're going to make per subscriber or is it just uh, specifically the views like let's say you have 70 million uh, subscribers but uh you did 10,000 views you're only getting paid on the views or just the subscribers at all count Sure. So like for those that are listening that monetize on YouTube, we'd love to like sort of like hear, um, you know, your thoughts and sort of like what your experience has been. I think it's not necessarily like a one for all. So I know that you need like an initial amount of subscribers to even qualify to get, you know, advertising. I believe it's around a thousand. Yeah, I think it's a thousand. And then sort of like based on a it might be based on generally the amount of like clicks that you would receive revenue from that. But I imagine it might be like sort of like what category are you in, right? Like, so if you're talking to a higher level brand and and those ads go for more money, then, you know, you might earn more. But I feel like also with big brands, you have leverage to negotiate. So you don't have to get the same amount as like the person that made their own videos of, of themselves playing with toys. Although kudos to Ryan's toy reviews family. He's like the biggest um, YouTube um, person in, in the world now. Um, but like you can negotiate, I feel like as a big brand with YouTube to say, Hey, you know, if you want us on here, uh, you know, you have to guarantee this, or we want this percentage of, of ad revenue. As far as kind of, figuring out like the monetization part it's almost like all right is mlw going to be making let's use them for an example are they going to be making more money doing stuff on youtube should they be more youtube centric or is being sports going to be enough to kind of pay them or should they do something else you know what i mean like is youtube almost going to be to smaller promotions better than actual television right so that was like just in terms of reading Court's tweets, you know, over the last several months are engaging in these like online conversations. That was the general feeling that I got from what he was tweeting that like YouTube, like he wasn't monetizing as much as he would like for the company. So that's why like there was a focus more on like um, fight and, um, you know, uh, Fubo and um, uh, I wanted to say Fubu, you know, like Fubo, and you know they are on like so many different platforms that sort of like it seems like they could monetize it better, and that's why there was frustration. But where it came back to YouTube, from what I understand, is like people wanted to be there. Yes, you could say go to another platform; it's not that expensive or it's even free. But like YouTube is so simple, you don't have to like download anything. You don't need to figure it out. It's organic, and you get discovered, and it's easy to just like engage in that way i wonder if like if let's just say being sports goes away or maybe you know they don't do mlw fusion anymore like would they just strictly do an nwa thing and just do like a youtube show and try to survive that way or there's there not enough money in it it seemed from what court was was writing when we were engaging these conversations that the um, the prospects are better right now in terms of streaming as like the television market contracts, but like, especially when you're a a niche brand like that, that's growing, you know, 
all the different revenue is so important. And I'm sure that they couldn't do as much as what they're doing with signing talents and, you know, having the depth of talent that they have and the type of production that they have without, um, you know, a, a, a support of being on national cable, like a B in sports. And it is funny. Like if you go to MLW or if you go to like a, a wrestling show nowadays, it's just different because, you know, they're recording it and they're going to put it on YouTube or they're going to sell it on their streaming service. But back in the day, like if you go to Ring of Honor and like, oh, two or something, it's like, man, they, they, they better sell, you know, 500 seats at the Murphy Rec or oversell, you know, make, try to fit 600 in there because the only way they're going to make money is months from now when they put it on DVD and try to sell DVD. So it's so much different nowadays where you can kind of skate by a little bit and just make some money if you're just able to record it and stream it properly yeah i think like of all the things that you'd invest in as a wrestling company like try to get your production right because that travels best you know it'll open up bigger opportunities whether it's or higher profile streaming or, or you know you could get on fight a number of ways but i think some of them aren't paid or maybe a percentage of you know of views or advertising whereas you know then there's more higher profile um promotions or or outlets to get on so like i feel like if you're bothering to produce content you want to get it right you know you need the right lighting the microphone shouldn't sound like tinny you need to like connect it you know properly so it feeds in directly to you that you know you have um a mat that isn't reversed or like i mean even even evolve was doing this right look like garbage you know like you spend two thousand dollars on like having a clean mat and, and drapes uh, you know even if you need sponsors sometimes that looks better to have that so that you have a base and you could build from there but like you know even with old ring of honor like some of that content it's very hard to to monetize it because it looks you know you have the top performers in the world at that time or some of the top um cm punk samoa joe brian danielson but some of the content just looks you know so bad that you know it's very hard to like leverage that in the future so you want to invest where you can although i know you know money is always tight with that too like you mentioned before like tna or impact wrestling has some decent amount of uh, subscribers because oh look hulk hogan oh look dusty obviously well past their prime but it's just one of those things like type in their name maybe that might pop up on impact it's nice to have that in your library like hey you know i got a cm punk wrestling raven or whatever you know it's just kind of cool to have that in your back pocket or whatever in your library because then you could throw it out when that name is hot like right now when sting debut with aew all that's hot oh impact's gonna throw up a sting video of when you know sting made his debut and, and this and that so it's one of those things that they could kind of cross promote and use other promotions to help their own youtube and help their own business right um and like i think back like one of the promotions i did a little bit of of consulting with but you know am, am a fan of is catalyst um wrestling and they you know a lot of their talent you know migrated to aw um like uh nyla rose and sunny kiss and so on so like you could really take that and and monetize that now and sort of like promote your own brand even bigger sometimes than, you know, when, when they were there. So you want to like be involved in that growth. I'm sort of weird in a way. Like I don't like to watch the performers as much like in their prime. I like to see like when they were like, kind of like not really ready. Um, I, I found this fascinating video when they mentioned um, the golden chic of, uh, of Canada Um you know, Kenny Omega's uncle. So I looked him up and there wasn't many videos, but one of them had Scott Norton in it. And he looked so different. He looked sort of like as, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, but like kind of like an overweight, gigantic kid and like that wasn't the scott norton that i knew uh like in the mid 90s so it was amazing because i didn't follow that early part of his career or it's kind of fun to see talent like on the later part of their career like for dusty Rhodes from you know the ec not only the ecw years but you know through mlw and then doing some um work with like uh terry funk and kevin sullivan and abdullah the butcher really late in his career it's kind of like fun to see how they were doing at that point what do you think like just say i'll say mlw again 
like they have 12 million views, 100,000 subscribers. How do they kind of get more, you know, uh, more subscribers, more views with like a pandemic going on? So it's hard to do. I know that they're getting tapings together and they're finally doing shows. But how do they do? Do they just literally think the archives is kind of the the, the driving force behind kind of getting more views and, and getting more subscribers? Because if you can't put out content, but you need to survive, is is that the only way to do it? So I think like the first thing is like to figure out a buzz somehow, like make it feel hot. Like, so they're really good in, in the way that they handled things like, you know, during the pandemic, even when they weren't producing new content, they were producing new videos, um, sort of like uh, where in the world was, um, you know, Selena De La Renta. Yeah, like, you know, they're performers and like you had videos like coming in from like Hawaii with the Von Eriks and Contra was up to something. And then fortuitously, they had this sort of their first run, like version 1.0 of MLW, which not many people saw at that time. But there was so many names there. It was like this convergence of like ECW and all Japan and, you know, like up and coming guys and like older guys. And, you know, so it's like, it's very appealing and very fun to, to look back on. So that really helped to, to bridge things. And then when they came back, they had, you know, certain names that they could really focus on that people hadn't seen much of and sort of like point towards that to, to build appeal. But, you know, as you have, you know, archives, you know, when people come and they find one video, you know, if they subscribe and they find their way back to that subscription, um, then things build from there. It's just important for a company like that to continue to build their buzz and, and visibility. And they've really done a great job of that over the last two years. Completely different from in-ring wrestling, although they have a lot of in-ring wrestling. They have matches on there uh, from a lot of diff different promotions. What do you think about something like Hannibal TV? De Devin Nicholson, buddy of uh, the show, Hannibal has a great channel. He has about 227,000 subscribers. I mean, it's just the, the amount of views that he has is crazy. I think it's 140 million views or something like that on there. So what do you kind of take away from that? Because he'll put matches, but then he'll do shoot interviews with the older wrestlers which are very very popular on youtube as well no i think it just shows the importance of being able to build your own brand like we talked about last time with performers that if you're in the business you know and you sort of have control of your own rights or you regain them or you know like you want to control those like you could be, leverage your own brand and, and do different things. It doesn't always have to be top down from the company, whether you've made connections and you could interview other performers or if you can spotlight matches in a different way or just come at things differently. Yes, like to make a lot of money on YouTube would sort of be like an outlier, but just think about things creatively and, and make things work for you. And if you could build a bit of a buzz like as a wrestler then you can get booked more and get more attention or sort of like as a wrestling promotion you want to monetize things in the way that works best it doesn't mean sort of like if you try and be everywhere well it's hard to get anywhere so like figure out what works best for you for some companies it's sort of like the quick gifs or gifs whatever they call it for others it's that long form content for others it's breaking up content into match by match or um or even like a serialization of like sort of like long-form documentary of of telling someone's stories but, but like sort of like figure out what works best for you and lean into it i know that there's so much like stress of just booking the talent and getting from one show to the next but if you're not taking advantage of of what you've done and doing it well it's sort of hard to build from that so if you look it's like okay He's got matches on there, very popular. Some of them in the millions, he, which a lot of them tend to be women's matches, which is another interesting thing going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, how popular women's matches are on YouTube. But it's just one of those things. It's like, wow, shoot interviews are popular, whether it's you know one-man gang, uh, you know, if you look on there, Outback Jack or whoever. It's just funny. Like It could be a million different things, but people tend to like shoots. They tend to like women's wrestling, <laughs> intergender. And you're right. If you create a brand and have a name and, and have good content and are consistent, I think that adds to the popularity as well. Super serving the audience. I think like what you'll find is that things don't replicate you know, in the same way, like if it's being already broadcast, although people say people don't have as much cable anymore, but it's still pretty wide. Like 
people are getting that on their television or through their, you know, major streaming device. But what else do you have to offer that that's unique that the main companies wouldn't be showing or you're coming at it from a different angle so that you stand out above the crowd? So does popularity equate to YouTube? Let's say WWE is the most popular wrestling program. Does that equate to them being the most popular on YouTube? If uh, AEW is number two, does that mean they're the second most popular on YouTube? How does that kind of go? How does that equate? Sure. So with WWE, it's kind of, you know, across the board that they know how to manage their brands well, and they kind of jump on most platforms early on. And yeah, so for that one, certainly, but for others, no, it's, it's really how well you've, you've managed the profile. Like for impact, they'll be ahead of AW for quite a while, just because they have 20 plus years of matches with name talent, but AW is sort of like storming ahead to, to grow. I think probably that's one of the reasons that they're so aggressive on YouTube is to sort of like have more of a presence on YouTube, right? If you're growing by 16 matches a week, you know, X times 52, right? You know, it keeps going and and you're, you're getting there. So like by volume, you'll sort of probably eventually overtake impact if you're, if you have the higher profile year over year. So there's these legacy brands that, uh, which is a weird way to describe like a, a CZW, but they had a really strong niche audience for a long time. They built up their YouTube well, and um, and they'll remain, they'll kind of like keep that momentum going. Um, or like a beyond, they didn't come from anything. They just sort of like embraced YouTube and they found a way to appeal to certain niches, whether intentional or not. And that's allowed them to then appeal to even different niches, right? They very much appeal to people that love like wrestling for wrestling's sake. So having money coming in for one thing really helps to support another. So I wouldn't say like most view, you know, most popular brand, like best chance of drawing or best chance of drawing television rating would equate directly to YouTube, because there's a lot of niches that can be served, but certainly for some of the biggest companies, they'll have a big presence on YouTube. So how come Dark, you mentioned before, they wanted to kind of, I guess, split the show or maybe make it shorter? What was the thought process in doing either one of those? So Tony Khan talked about the idea of doing it, not so much about like why he's doing it. So sort of like one would be more developmental and one would would focus on the experience uh, talent. I think like when you look at YouTube viewership or like what engages, most of the things aren't programs that are three hours long. So if you're going to give somebody a television show, a television like show to ask them to commit to one program that's three hours is, you know, a lot to ask, right? Like in, in terms of our podcasting, like, you know, we try and center around an hour because that typically what appeals like, for example, and, and I, I love their show, like, the Between the Sheets podcast, like I want to listen to all the content, but it's seven hours long. So usually what I end up doing is listening to the first 45 minutes or two hours with the intentions of coming back to it. But I often don't because, you know, unless I'm just doing like analysis all day, then like when would I have the chance to listen to seven hours straight? And then you can't get distracted by something else. You have to find your way back to it. It's one of those things. It's like, man, like, should they do another show? Would that be popular? Is the current thing? I mean, is it way too long? Because remember, at first, and I think Brandon did a great job. Brandon Thurston of of WrestleNomics, definitely check him out. But I'm pretty sure he did a list of like the first dark had three matches, the second had seven. Like he put everyone into like context of how many matches, and then there was one that had 18 matches. It was like, holy. How did that happen? Like, is Tony Khan paying all these wrestlers for all these matches? I hope he's making it back in, in this YouTube money because that's the only people ever going to see it are on Dark. Yeah, I think it's sort of um, you have this like full roster and there's only so many people that you could put on television each week. And I think that's good. That's that's healthy because I think that's one of the things that why WWE lost some appeal, at least to me. Like sometimes you feel like, oh, you have to get the ratings. You have to have The Rock and Stone Cold and whomever on. But like after a while, you're sort of like it loses appeal. Whereas when you compare it to boxing, you know, you see people can only fight two or three or four times a year at most if they're in their prime of their career. And it's like 
it builds to it. You want to pay for it. You don't see them all the time, but wrestling, they'll just keep feeding it to you. And you just, eventually you get full and you get tired of it. So to like have to, some, some weeks Cody Rhodes will wrestle, some weeks he'll talk, maybe some weeks he doesn't fit in. So it's kind of fun, like to see him and with undercard talent, you're cycling them in and out. But I think, um, I think having that roster isn't the most effective use uh, to monetize it, but you know, they seem to have the breathing room. Doesn't it seem like maybe bringing in too many guys, or maybe maybe these are somewhat tryouts? But it seems just seems like it's too much. They they definitely got a lesson. I think less is more. Yeah, um, sometimes it is. It is a little bit uh, too much. Like um, there was an article actually that Brandon had shared years ago about overfishing. Like was the WWE signing too many people to NXT, and sort of like what was happening with them. So what's interesting with AEW is they allow talent generally to sort of like circulate other places. Um, I was kind of thinking about it a while ago, like has the time for that come to an end? Like COVID really brought it to light, but it's sort of an important concept no matter what, like should you keep the talent exclusive to you and like, a, make sure to pay them enough that, that you're asking them to do that. I don't want to restrict anyone's ability to make money, but, be like it makes them special like when you see um uh you know the mlw champion like he's he was on gcw this weekend that was like one match and it was special but generally it's just like focus on just like one promotion um to uh to make things work thing is with that is like don't they have an hour that they're supposed to gonna be coming to TNT with so it's like okay using a lot of um resources and obviously you know they're taping there for the taping anyway so might as well use it and put it on YouTube but it's like are you gonna maybe put dark on TV and have something else on YouTube like I wonder what the thought process is did Tony Khan say he doesn't want to put dark on TV like what, what was the the thought on on keeping that on YouTube yeah, so that was the general consensus that it'll be called something else and it won't have like the same format. So that'll be interesting to see by 2021 what um, what they uh, ultimately do. So what is the most profitable organization wrestling-wise on YouTube? WB far and away? Yeah, in terms of, you know, the revenue that they're bringing in, um, I'm sure. But you'd have like, if you think about profitability, like, you know, it, it's complicated, right? Because a lot of the cost is being absorbed, let's say, um, by production um, for the um, uh, for the other aspects, right? Like when you're producing television, so there's not that much cost. So, but let's say beyond wrestling, their costs, you know, they they're bringing in all the revenue because of the views, but the costs directly relate to that because um, they need to produce these programs for YouTube um, so that that cost has to be absorbed by the advertising. Do you think if Beyond Wrestling didn't have uh, any fans, let's say, in the building and they just recorded matches, maybe it wouldn't sound as good or maybe it wouldn't come off as great. But do you think that's an option of literally just getting uh, a facility, putting a ring in and just having matches almost, you know, like like WB did during the pandemic and Impact and all these other organizations just did during the pandemic, not have fans and just literally tape and just tape for YouTube? Do you think that would be popular? I think like you have to kind of like balance of like what people's expectations are. Like my concern with that would be like they make money by by breaking shows up into match by match. So if like if you're doing it in a way that like it doesn't appeal, there's no like heat and like you know, like it feels kind of boring. Like, will people keep rolling through the matches or will they unsubscribe and, and stop watching? So like, I'd be a little bit concerned about like putting something into the feed that sort of like puts fresh content. So that might help you at the moment. But like, if, if the content doesn't look great, would that hurt you later? So with some of these, videos on youtube getting so many views beyond wrestling like you said 200 was it 229 million for chris dickinson and addy star i mean that's just a, a crazy crazy amount how do you replicate or how do you duplicate it doing that because it seems like 
viral videos you almost don't know like that tiktok video with that guy that was uh, roller skating listening to fleetwood mac drinking ocean spray you know what i mean it's like you don't know who would have guessed that being popular right so how do you kind of replicate it if you're one of these wrestling companies yeah it's it's a hard thing to do because you really can't like if you're doing it the same way just like you know um I forget who's talking about it, but this is long known, right? Like you can't make the next Hulk Hogan, right? You can't make the next Steve Austin. It usually ends up being somebody different that that leads the brand or you know that that gets attention. So the same thing with with popular videos. You might learn best practices, right? Like make sure the video has good lighting, that it has appealing title, that it has appealing little um, uh, clip you know, um, sort of like clip image, um, that it's well described that people can find it, but you can't really copy exactly what's been done before, except like if you're diving deep into the genre of like intergender wrestling, maybe that's already been served already. Um, or maybe there's more room for it. So just thinking, like, let's just say Ryan's World, the uh, kid show. My son likes watching it on YouTube, but they turn it into a TV show. And he doesn't really like watching it on TV. So, I mean, that's just a very, very small um, you know, example there. But I think that's true because we talked a little bit about it last week. Orange Cassidy not necessarily getting TV ratings. You go to YouTube, and he's a big YouTube getter. So it, it is kind of a weird world out there with YouTube. And sometimes you get lucky, and sometimes you're finding non-wrestling fans that are watching the YouTube thing but it is one of those things that i love to keep an eye on like wait you know like john silver he doesn't get any tv ratings you know nobody cares about this guy you go to youtube and he's kind of popular so yeah it's weird like chris dickinson huge on youtube very popular um a great guy he's a great wrestler didn't really have a contract he's not really on tv he was in united wrestling network and stuff and he likes being an independent contractor but he wasn't on tv he didn't have a contract so it's one of those things it's like wow you could be popular in youtube but it is its own separate world yeah and um you know me being obsessed with following all these numbers like when i hear a company is is streaming live like i have to check in at multiple points like i mean i, I love watching mlw like anyway but like you know i don't often get the chance to watch wrestling as it's happening but like seven to eight kind of works for me uh on the east coast here like because the kids are still watching tv they're they're kind of getting ready for bed but they're not yet ready so i could sort of like have it on low on like sort of like watching on my phone while they're watching like disney jr but i'm like watching like okay um what's the viewership starting like what's it peaking from so it's it's fun to to keep an eye on that now as far as just another random question I have for you, and it's something that I've thought about. I know it's something you've thought about long and hard. So WB obviously is the top dog. AEW has come along and kind of solidified themselves big time as the number two. Then, like we talked about last week, you got the MLWs, the Ring of Honors, the Impact Wrestlings, the New Japan, where they can kind of come back in the USA. That'll be kind of a little bit stronger, but then you got AAA and you got a lot of other promotions out there. But is Ring of Honor's fiscal conservatism and aversion to risk taking the biggest missed opportunity of the last five years? So, you know, especially like when I started writing about wrestling and f watching the business, like the certain niche that I fell into as, as somebody that had been a longtime fan of Ring of Honor was sort of like watching their business. And, like when Sinclair bought the company, they sort of had higher expectations of it, like sort of off the bat, like build it, like booking bigger venues and, and so on. But they weren't selling that well. And the business was kind of cold. But then around 2017, um, things started getting hotter for the company. Like you could see like the numbers growing with like the young bucks and then Cody Rhodes was there um, and, um, you know, the elite and, uh, you know, like it was, it was sort of like, should you be more proactive in signing, you know, some of your legacy talent or in keeping talent there? And they always seem to fall back on being more conservative and Cody Rhodes, you know, he was even like before all in, he started tweeting like more aggressively, like, I've been pushing Ring of Honor to book like a 10,000 seat building or, you know, and try and get them to do it. And, you know, I was somebody that was skeptical of it at the time because it wasn't since WCW that anyone more than one off show had drawn more than several thousand people. And Ring of Honor had only recently broken 3,000 and then, you know, 
five or six thousand in New Orleans. And like there was um Dave Meltzer responding, and then like not that I get any credit for this or whatever, but like I was the first person to respond. And sort of like when you look at that classic tweet, I'm like right under there if you look at the comments, which is fun. Um and I was skeptical. I said, like, I don't think the timing is right, but like with the right talent, the right timing, the right promotion, 10,000, but like, you know, not now or whatever I said. So I was skeptical of it as well, but Rhodes and the Bucks sort of like saw potential in something like All In and they got Ring of Honor to semi support it and allow them to do it, but they wouldn't sort of like take that leap and like go all in on a promotion. And I don't know if they would have gotten as big as AEW because like Sinclair was weighted down by the big corporate overlord and AEW, even though it's wealthy business owners that are running, it sort of like felt fresh and they could utilize contacts to go into TNT. But there was companies like Ring of Honor and New Japan um, that if they leaned more into the American market and took risks, they could have been in a much better position than they are now, and there might not have been an AEW. One of those interesting things to kind of you know look look at it and kind of look back. It's one of those things like, man, if they didn't do that, maybe AEW would have never happened. Um, but they did do kind of a smart thing, and obviously the New Japan Ring of Honor. G1 Super Show at Madison Square Garden did about 18,000 fans. I don't know if you can really equate that exactly to Ring of Honor, but I think more New Japan. But still, I mean, that, that's just a, a great house. But again, they kind of are relying on another promotion to kind of help them out or, you know, or some guys that maybe aren't always going to be there. So I don't know. It's one of those things where I think that they were going to be that next big top company, but they were definitely fiscally conservative and didn't really take a lot of risks. Yeah. And by the time, you know, they were doing the Madison Square Garden show it was kind of over like the the um, top talent had already left. Um, Kenny Omega wasn't working the show. And not only that, but it's sort of like it's spelled for me the beginning of the end of like a semi major promotion, like because there was so much negativity coming out of it that they never recovered. And when you looked at live events, like it started dropping to in the hundreds as opposed to like in the low thousands. Man, what could have been, right? With Ring of Honor, what could have been? Yes. Um, I think they'd still have the challenges of, you know, sort of like there was negativity towards Sinclair, but there could have been a lot more. Shame on you, Joe Koff. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they're still doing some things now where they've kind of uh, turned a lot of people's heads and they've kind of been doing some things that people have been looking as of lately because I've, I've seen nothing but positive press about what they've been doing lately and, and ring of honor world and the, uh, you know, obviously the streaming service and then the pure title tournament. And then all this kind of going back to basic stuff. I feel like uh, people have been enjoying them lately. Yeah, they're not, they're certainly not dead yet. You know, sometimes we, we think about wrestling companies that they peak and then they go away. They're sort of like they're, um, with all the money behind them, if if there was the investment, right? Like they're sort of like a sleeping lion or whatever, a sleeping bear, I guess, hibernating. Um, but um, but they have become very niche and sort of off the radar a bit, even though you know they have this exposure in mid markets, very high profile, you know, on ABC and NBC and Fox affiliates on Sunday mornings or after college football games, and people kind of see it, but it doesn't have that buzz. So as far as this episode, I was a huge focus on YouTube. Who's making money? Who's not? Who's the top subscriber? Who's the most profitable? Who's the most subscribed? And so on and so forth. But do you have any kind of closing remarks about this business of the business on YouTube? You know, take a take a deep dive into the world of YouTube wrestling. It'll really surprise you. Um, you know, see how your favorite local promotion and larger promotions are, are doing. Um, see what the most popular matches are. See how the most recent matches are being viewed compared to some older ones. It, it'll be really fun and insightful. Often in wrestling, it's hard to get um, analytics and, and data. So this is something that's, that's open for everyone to explore and kind of chew on a little bit. And as far as plugs, you could follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can check out my website, tmptempire.com. Lavi, where can the great fans find you? 
Follow me on Twitter, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. I often um, share articles and content first on, on YouTube. Uh, sorry, we're talking about YouTube on Twitter and then sort of share it in, in articles later. And then we may talk about it on, on the podcast. So if you want to be on top of things right away, you can also go to my website to see some of the longer form articles. I put in there weekly underreported stories. So a lot of stories that you won't see anywhere else besides like the original local articles. Um, so you could go to lioncubjobsearch.com and um, check out my books on Amazon, uh, Trump Mania, or if you are looking for a better career, winning answers to 500 interview questions. Very, very good. Lavi, it's been a great week here. Episode number two of the business of the business. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in this week, and we'll see you right back here next week. Have a good one, folks.